So, um, this morning, before I preached, because I preached, we obviously preached the same message morning and evening, because one church. Um, I said this, I said that some messages that you preach, you expect in the moment for there to be a response, a turning, a, a sense of, man, I need to straighten this out straight away, um, an urgent thing. O- others, it's, it's more like you just feel like you're depositing something for life in people that will go in and that will serve them throughout life. And I, I think before I preached it, interestingly, you know, I felt it's the latter. Um, it's, def- it's, it's more that way. It's more a message that will be deposited in and will serve you as, as, you, as you live. But I think it, it had more of an impact than I thought it would um, in the moment too. <laughs> Man of faith that I am. But, uh, I would, so I just think I would just want to say, let's just be open to whatever God wants to do through this message. Um, it's about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Just explain what the kingdom is, what the kingdom isn't. Um, it's, not some, it's not a geographical location, like, you know, like the kingdom, United Kingdom, the kingdom of God. It doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God is the rule of God, the rule and reign of God. Wherever God's authority is being uh, manifested, demonstrated, welcomed and received, that's where the kingdom of God is happening. So, for example, 19 years ago, when I became a Christian, suddenly uh, the realm of me became, the kingdom of God came in that realm, yeah, because I'm now, oh, I, I acknowledge, actually, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ and gladly bow the knee to him. The kingdom of God came when someone is healed of uh, sickness, it's the kingdom of God. When someone's delivered from demonic torment, oppression, it's the ki- there's, there's the kingdom, okay? So the kingdom is about the rule and reign of God. And the plan is, is that the kingdom grows and grows and grows until um, uh, the whole of creation is under the rule and reign, the good rule and reign of God. It's a good thing. The kingdom is good news. We tend to view authority quite negatively. So when we talk about, you know, a one world power, you know, you can get into kind of the, 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 the conspiracy stuff that's out there and all of that. The rule and reign of God is nothing like that. The rule and reign of God is creation coming back to what it was always intended to be, which is under him. And, uh, and it brings freedom, life, and all the good stuff. So the kingdom is fantastic. Today's um, message is about uh, the kingdom. It's a surprising message because it's a surprising kingdom. Uh, we, we see it as a topsy-turvy kingdom, but really it's because we're topsy-turvy. Yeah? It's actually straight. Um, but because we're so skewed, we think, wow, look at that. That's really, well, look, that's really out there. No, we're really out there. Uh, the kingdom's really normal. Um, but we, so we get renewed every time we understand the kingdom because it just totally cuts across the way we think. And even the way the world operates, very, very different. So um, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, um, the Bible's basically split in... Two, two parts, two main parts, the Old and New Testament. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, in the second half, if you're not very familiar with how the Bible is laid out. And chapter 20, the, the chapters are the big numbers and the verses are small. So um, Matthew, uh, big 20, and we're going we're gonna to go um, from that in just a moment. But it's actually not, it's a, in some ways, it's, it's not at first reading the easiest story to understand. And so... In my own preparation, I thought, man, it's what, I could read that on a level and understand it, but to preach it, you've got to really understand it. And I thought, I'm not sure I do. Um, so when, whenever you come across something like that, the best thing to do is to say, okay, what comes before and what comes afterwards? Because it gives you a feel for what the theologians call context. It's the context. Okay, this is situated and this is going on, and it gives you clues. And so I want to just quickly explain what happened before and then after then we can approach the middle with real hopeful understanding and clarity and it can really be helpful for us. You up for that? Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, the story before is, is an interesting one whereby um, Jesus and his disciples were doing what they did and suddenly a young man comes into the scene and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, Jesus said, well, you know, fulfill the commandments of God. Don't, you know, and he said, well, which ones? Well, don't commit adultery. And Jesus listed off some of the Ten Commandments. Because you know, I hope you know, you know don't you, there's two ways to be saved. I hope you know that a lot of time uh, Christians say there's, one way to, there's not one way to be saved. There's two ways to be saved. The Bible's very clear on that. Okay? The first way is that you perfectly fulfill the law of God. Okay? If you do these things, you will live by them. If you do these commandments perfectly, without flaw, you will live by them. So, you know, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, if he is your supreme affection, focus and love, then, yeah, great, great, you're on the right tracks, you know. If you love your neighbour as you love yourself, in the same way that you love and serve yourself and provide for yourself and nourish yourself, if you love your neighbour like that, you're doing well. If you never commit adultery, and by that, it, that would include never thinking or looking lustfully at someone else's husband or wife, then you, you, if you fully fulfill that, not just in deed, but in speech, in thought, in heart, then you will be saved, okay? But none of us do. So there's functionally one way to be saved, okay? Jesus, who did all of that perfectly on our behalf and then died a criminal's death on our behalf, the death we deserve and then was raised from the dead as a demonstration that he really was all that he said he was. And then he invites us into his victory. Okay? That's why we proclaim this one way, because the other way we've all failed and we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. Okay? So Jesus said, here's a deal, fulfill these commandments. This guy said, and as he said this, you can imagine everyone around going, he said, I've done all these. <laughs> One of those moments you think, oh no, you know, and you sort of don't know really where to look because you think Jesus is going to get him now. So Jesus just pushes a bit, a bit further and says, okay, uh, if you really want to go the whole way, sell everything you've got and uh, give your possessions to the poor, then come and follow me. Now, Jesus wasn't bringing a new commandment here. He was basically just pushing forward, you know, one of, you know, the first commandment really, which is the guy didn't really love God. The guy loved his possessions. So, um, so the man walks off sad and... Uh, and then Jesus does his famous speech about, you know, the rich people, it's so hard for someone rich to enter the kingdom. It's, man, I tell you, it's, it's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for someone rich to, to get saved. At which point Peter, as was his kind of want, explodes. You know? Jesus, if the rich can't be saved, where does that leave us? We've got nothing. We've left everything to follow you. Now, just to help you make sense of Peter's logic, in that time, rich people were viewed as blessed. Okay? If you were rich, you were seen as blessed by God. So Jesus saying, you know what? It's, gonna be, it's, gonna, it's easier for a camel to go for an eye of a needle, for eye of a needle than a rich or a blessed person. And Peter's suddenly thinking, I've got nothing. At least you used to have a boat. With some and some nets. Now I've got nothing because I follow you. What on earth? And then Jesus replies, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. Now that's the quote for the night. Many who are first will be last and the last first. That's what this message is about as we get onto it. Now here, in this story, Jesus is talking about social status. Those we tend to look upon as having made it, having got somewhere, Jesus is saying there's some surprises in store. 
Those who we see as first actually may well end up being last. And those whom we see as last actually may well end up being first. In fact, it says in James, God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. Now, that's not saying that, you know, know, it's salvation by poverty. You know, I'm not teaching that. I'm just saying, you know, there's a surprise here where we tend to naturally um, gravitate towards and honour those who just look like they've got it together and they've done well for themselves and they've got this and they've got that. Jesus is saying, careful, careful, because the first will be last and the last will be first. God doesn't see it like you see it. That's why James, in his book, he warns against someone comes into church well-dressed, you give them a really nice seat, someone else comes in a bit smelly or dirty, you ignore them, or you just say, oh, you can go over there, or you can sit on my feet, and I'm sure we'd say that, but that kind of thing in your heart, he says, all careful now, you've denied the faith. You've denied the faith. Why? Well, because the first will be last and the last will be first. It's different. It's topsy-turvy when it comes to the way we view people, who's made it and who hasn't. There's then a, the, the, the story that happens after today's message is really embarrassing. <laughs> Basically, two of the disciples get together with their mum and they come up with this plan. It's painful. The plan is that their mum comes to Jesus, kneels down and says, can you give me something? And Jesus then says, what would you like? And then she says, well, what it is? <laughs> See these two boys. When you come into your glory in, that, and you're in the kingdom and the big marriage supper of the lamb and all that going on it would be great if one of them could be on your left hand side and the other one on your right those two seats right next to you could, could, you, could you have one either side and, uh, and Jesus deals with it in his usual gracious way but then the other ten disciples hear about it and they get the real hump just they're really angry so could you hear about what James and John did they got their mum <laughs> <laughs> they went to Jesus and they asked if they could have the special seats. And, and so Jesus has to gather them together, all the disciples, all the twelve, looking at James and John and all, you know, evil looks and all of that. And he says this. He says, Jesus called them to him and said, Now, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Because even as the Son of Man, that's him talking about himself, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There it is again. Great, least, least, great. First, last, last, first. It's the surprise element. It's like, oh. And here it's about authority. And it's about greatness in the kingdom. And uh, the whole idea is that Jesus, Jesus is personifying in his own leadership what true Christian leadership looks like. It looks like washing people's feet. It, 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 and that's why he teaches his disciples and he says you must never call anyone father. Now he's not saying that kids mustn't call their dad dad. He's saying you must never call someone father in terms of a spiritual leadership thing. You must never do that. It's, it's topsy because you're all brothers. That's the way he's laid it out. Now, of course, there's leadership within the church, but it's a certain kind of leadership. It's servant leadership, and it's part that, you know, those who lead are as much part of the congregation as everyone else. It's not stages, levels, hierarchies. That's not, it's not to be like that. And so Jesus is making it really, really clear. But the beauty of it is, is that Jesus personifies both of these wonderful topsy-turvy things. So when it comes to social standing, you know, in terms of, the, you know, the rich and the poor, We're told uh, in 2 Corinthians, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. 
He did it. He involuntarily took on poverty that we might enjoy. These riches that we sing about and celebrate and rejoice in. We have these because he became poor in our place. Elsewhere it says, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. There he is, all authority, all glory and all honour. What does he do? I'll make myself nothing. So the gospel is the thing which helps us understand how this Christian life should work out. Just look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and you will not go wrong. It's really quite simple. Look to him, model yourself, copy him, model yourself on him by the power of the Holy Spirit and you will do well. Okay? It's, really, it's very, very straightforward, but it's remarkably different and shocking. It really is very shocking at times. Let me get to today's story, uh, Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for a denarius a day, now that was a, a common, that would be a day's wages, that's, that's a good, good normal average wage, um, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, that's 9am, so it started at 6 or whenever I am, yeah, then now when 9am is the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour midday and 3 p.m., he did the same. And about 5 p.m., the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, well, not because no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And then when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the labourers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. What story. Now, I just want to help you understand this, what it's referring to. Um, Vineyards, biblically, are pretty much symbolically always the same thing. It's God's people. God says, I planted a vineyard, I hedged it around and I watered it and I looked for fruit. And it's an image of how God relates to his people. He plants them, establishes them, protects them, nurtures them, and really all he looks for is fruit, which is pretty reasonable, isn't it? You know, he's done all that, he's just looking for some fruit. And you get that all through the Bible, that kind of picture, that, that image. And so what we've got here is a picture of Christian service. Okay? This is about Christian service, serving the Lord. That's what the um, parable is really about. That's what it is um, getting at. Um, throughout Scripture, there are different ways of describing the Christian life, following Jesus. Some would be like, you know, it's like going from being alienated from God to being reconciled. Or it's like going from being lost to being found. Or um, from being an orphan to being adopted. And all these images are beautiful and fantastic and we, we love them. But one that perhaps isn't spoken about much is that it's going from being idle in the marketplace 
to be a servant of the Lord. Okay? It's going from sitting around really kind of doing your own thing, um, ultimately idle in the things of God, to, to really finding a life filled with service to Jesus. That's the Christian life. <laughs> it's not just like an optional extra. It's part of the heart of the Christian life is to give your all to Jesus, to serve him and to throw yourself in with what he's doing. There's a phrase Jesus used called putting, the hand, putting your hand to the plough. It's an agricultural phrase. It's, the image obviously is of, of someone working the field and they put their hand to the plough and they go. And Jesus says, whoever, whoever puts their hand to the plough and then turns back, turns their head back, looks back, is not fit for service in the kingdom because it, it demonstrates something's happened in your heart where you've, you're double-minded, you've not understood the honour of serving the King of Kings. The honour of being called into the service of the Most High God. And in your mind, in your heart, there's a, di a division, a separation. You're kind of yearning after that and after that. And so the picture is very vivid. It's of someone pushing that way but looking that way. And it really just speaks of uh, a life that is really divorced from um, a oneness, the kind of unity that God wants us to be able to absolutely run into his purposes. With all that we are, that's the image that we, that we get there. There's a cost to it. I want to say this to you. There is a cost to Christian service. It's, it's I would describe it as a sacrificial privilege. And any of you that have been around and serving the Lord for a while, you know what I'm saying. It's a, <laughs> there are seasons where it's hard. Where you think, man, oh, I've been doing this for a while now. And uh, I'm feeling it. You know, I'm, I'm feeling it. And uh, maybe some of you actually don't know this because... Um, it's more of a sort of a spectator sport for you. Um, if that's the case, then I want to provoke you and say, you need to feel this as part of being a believer. You need to walk through those seasons where you've been somewhere long enough and given yourself fully enough to experience those seasons of thinking, this is tough. Because that's where maturity comes. When you say it's tough at the moment, and I'm not seeing much for what I'm putting in. But you know what? I'm going to dig in and keep going. And what happens through that is you become more like Jesus. Changes you, see? Works in you through those kinds of situations. There's so, I mean, what, what is Christian service? Everything from setting up chairs and drapes on a Sunday afternoon, coming and praying on a Sunday between five and six, Looking out for those that you think, I haven't seen them for a while, I hope they're okay, I'll give them a call. Offering to meet up with someone and just say, hey, how's it going? Need someone to pray with you? Need some encouragement? Inviting someone around your place for just you having a games night. Just come, come, join in, we'd love to have you. Thinking about someone over Christmas, I wonder what they're doing. Have they got anything going on? I can open up my home. It's Christian service. Telling people about Jesus, you're serving the future church there, aren't you? You're serving those who will come to know him. It's a broad, rich tapestry of ways that we can serve the Lord. Um, and this is what this is about. Now, you may be here tonight and you're not a believer. You know, you're, you're not a Christian, so you're not going to be doing Christian service. So what, what do you get from this? You get a few things from this. First of all, you get this. And you've heard this already. That the way to knowing God the way to genuine relationship with God and new life 
is not through trying your best. It may be that you have to do that for a little while before you realise it's not good enough. God will let you go around that track for a while until you realise, you know what? That inner light I was searching for doesn't seem to be there. It's pretty dark in there. He'll let you do that. And then he'll lift your head so you can see the light. Jesus. Jesus is your hope. Jesus. Every, every, every thing, every presenting issue and problem roots back to this thing we call sin. And we're all victims of sin. People have sinned against us and ruined us. And we're all perpetrators of sin. We have sinned and caused ruin. And Jesus rescues us from the power of sin. So you need to know Jesus. That's where it starts. Don't just get involved with Christian service. Oh yeah, because then I might be a Christian. No, know Jesus. That's how you become a Christian. And then you can sign up to, to serve him. But I guess tonight in many ways is, a, is it's going to be a bit of a challenge to those of you here that would say you're, you're Christians and, okay, all right, well, what does it mean? Well, we're going to get into it now. When I, when I uh, used to work on a building site, I remember turning up, um, just looking for work, on a, and I came to the site. I said, do you need labourers? The man said, yes. I said, okay, uh, well, count me in. I said, what's the wages? He said, how much do you want? I was like, oh, man, what do I do? Because I really want the job, so I'm not going to give them a really high price, but if I agree something really stupid, I'm going to really regret it. So I just threw out a number that I thought would kind of be in the middle somewhere. He said, fine, a bit too quickly. I should have realised when he said fine so quickly. <laughs> anyway, labouring with the boys on site over the next few weeks, as you do chit-chat, and uh, we got round to the subject of money, and they were on like 50% more than me. Yeah. <sighs> Felt like one of these boys in this story, you know. Because here... They're working different hours for the same pay. There, I'm working the same hours but for different pay. Same thing, just different dynamic. So we're doing exactly the same work day in, day out. They're getting 50% more. And I remember feeling angry. I remember feeling wronged. I remember feeling, oh, you know, gutted. How could I be so stupid? All of that. I remember going up and speaking to the foreman and probably having a conversation like this, you know. Um, so on face value, you read the story and you feel sympathy for the labourers. These guys work 12 hours in the heat of the day. These other jokers turned up with an hour to go and get paid the same money. That doesn't seem right. What's going on here? Well, we're going to dig in and we're going to find out and we're going to have our heads messed with by the gospel. Are you up for that? Yeah. All right, okay. <laughs> See, they misunderstood. The workers misunderstood that the whole deal was, being, was grace from beginning to end. The whole, the very fact that they had been brought out of the marketplace and given some work was the generosity of the boss that they hadn't deserved for one minute. Their mentality they'd got into is, my rights. And, and, and what, it, what it gets to is this point of tension, this climax of this confrontation between uh, one of these laborers who's been working all day and the boss and uh, we're going to dig in. I want to pull out just some phrases that the boss uses because it's the phrases that the boss is going to use into our hearts tonight. Okay? So he gets grumbled at, and what does he say? The first thing he says is this. Now, bear in mind, the context for you guys, Christian service. He says this. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. I'm doing you no wrong. See, some people feel like God's wronged them. Some believers feel that in some way they've been wronged by God. That's what's got into their spirit. 
God's wrong me. Maybe their hopes have been dashed. Maybe your hopes have been dashed. Maybe your plans have failed. You thought, well, I thought if I did that, and then surely then that would happen. Well, it hasn't happened. Maybe tragedy has struck, genuinely. It's like, do you know what's happened? I thought God was sovereign. Do you know? Tragedy's come. Maybe there's been a disproportionate amount of hardship. You look at your life, what's going on, and then you look at those around you and you say, this isn't adding up. They, they just need to land on their feet wherever they fall. I can't remember the last time I landed on my feet. And then when I do, someone pulled the rug out. And I thought I was one of your people, God. And people feel wronged in some way. Something's gone wrong. Maybe unanswered prayer. I've been praying about that for years. They prayed one prayer. Oh, fell in their lap. I fasted. I fasted. And what, get, what can happen in your spirit is, is you feel like, well, I've borne the heat of the day. They just rocked up. Look at them. Mr. Blessed. And it, something can happen in your spirit. What does God say? God says this. I'm doing you no wrong. The very reason you're here is because of my generosity towards you. The very reason you know me is because I've lavished grace on you. I've opened the eyes of your heart and I've won you to myself. He created. We rebelled. He gave the law, a perfect law, a beautiful law. And the idea was, was that his people would live by that law and then the other nations would look on and say, wow, look at the way you live. Your God must be amazing. We broke the law. He gave his only son. We rejected him. And now he calls out by creation. He calls out by conscience. He calls out by coincidences. He calls out by friends he puts in our path. And we suppress his calling out and his truth. We push it down and in our wilder moments even accuse him. I'm doing you no wrong. Even with all of the difficulties. Every difficulty you've been through as a believer. You put it in the scale and then you put his grace in the other side. You look back to that other side of the scale. Your difficulties, it's dust in the scales. He died for you when you hated him. He laid down his life for you, poured out his perfect life for you. You didn't care about him and only insulted him. He did all that needed to be done. He dealt with Satan. He dealt with death. He dealt with sin. Every one of these huge enemies you had no chance of conquering, he dealt with when you were against him. Friend, I've done you no wrong. Even tough seasons as a Christian... When you respond to them properly, produce fruit. He's done you no wrong. Times I've heard in Christian circles talk about people forgiving God. It's out there. There's books on it. You can't forgive God. He's done nothing wrong. You forgive someone when they've wronged you. Okay? If you're going to forgive God, you go and do it somewhere in a field away from me. So I don't know what's going to happen when you do it. I don't want to be around because uh, it could all go horribly wrong. God, I've decided to forgive you. Well, I'm sure he's going to be really grateful about that. <laughs> and then there's this. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? 
God says, did you not agree with me? Did, I, I thought we had an agreement. Now what God's done here, in the first point, God has hit victim mentality. Wronged by God. Now God is hitting, it's an interesting one, coercion mentality. God, you got me into this. I've been a Christian five years now, you got me into this. Look where it's got me. Look where it's got me. Same job. Ah, they all got promoted, didn't they? Yeah. Same job. Same role. Still here. <laughs> because I wouldn't lie and cheat, because I'm a Christian. Still here. Yeah? Thanks, God. For, thanks for getting me into this. That friend's married. That friend's married. That friend's married. Served at all the weddings. <laughs> yeah? Thanks, God. And God says, didn't you agree? Didn't you, didn't you agree that you wanted to... Wasn't it like you said, Jesus, I want to follow you? So you can't... It, it's actually quite wicked and lazy to start blaming God for coercing you into something. In August 1991, as an 18-year-old, I said, Jesus, I'm all yours. Right? I agreed to this. <coughs> Following Jesus is sometimes very, very difficult. I would say that it's not infrequent that I find myself saying, Jesus, I really don't know how to do this. I, I really feel I've got nothing in me. Uh, Jesus, this really doesn't feel very glory, glory, third heaven. Um, Jesus, I don't know what to do now regarding leaving this church. That's often, okay? That's often. That's, that's, there's kind of a pattern there. Jesus says, did you agree? And I'm like, yeah, no, I did. And I love it. I love it. I wouldn't do anything else. So, you, did, you know, in some ways you got me into this, but I said, Lord, I'm, I'm in. You know, Jesus is very honest. You find th there were people in the Bible that Jesus actually, he didn't, Jesus, he, did, he seemed to actually put, pe put people off every now and then from following him. There was someone who followed, said, Jesus, I want to follow you. He, and you can tell, he probably looked at him and thought, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Because <laughs> he said, he said, you know what, he said, um, you know the foxes, they've got like, holes to live in and the birds have got nests. We're on the mountain tonight. We, we, we've got nowhere to, nowhere to live, nowhere to sleep. Um, so he's saying, look, here's the deal. Yeah, he's not a salesman. You know, one of the things I find hardest, particularly with people, people that I've spoken to, some of whom who don't know the Lord, who have been in advertising, they say, hey, it's kind of similar, isn't it? What you do and what I do. Because I sell things and you sell things, just a different product. No, it's completely different. In fact, Paul says, we are not peddlers. We are not salesmen. Because actually, do you know what we do? We give the whole picture. I am the world's worst salesman. We had a VW camper once, and I could not sell it because the people would come and look, and I would tell them all the bits that were hanging off and all the wrong. I'd say, "Yeah, they say it's really nice, yeah, but it's rust on the bottom." You know, <laughs> I'm just the worst. And then I just, uh, and and then we went on a holiday for two weeks. So I said to my friend, "Could you try and sell this for me?" Well, I go away. I came back and it was gone. You know. So, uh, uh, but you see, because when you when you preach the gospel, when you bring the word of God, you don't just hide the hard bits. It's Wicked to hide the hard bits. It's, it really is like a slippery salesman. 
Just, just pointing out all these, these bits. Don't look there, you know, but look at this. No. No. Jesus said, you know what? Here's what it's going to be. Deny yourself daily. Pick up your cross and follow me. Prepare for opposition. Okay? What else does it involve? Eternal life. Total forgiveness, cleaned conscience, reconciliation with God, adoption into his family, being delivered from the futility of serving created temporary things and being caught up in the wonder of eternal things, okay? So all glory, blessing, wonder. But you know what? You're going to die to yourself daily. That's the deal. Very honest. Very upfront. Folks, that's the deal. And you agree to it. Okay? And you know what? It's really cool when you get that. It really is, because you go, it's hard at the moment, but that's all right. Rather than that, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah? So what's the matter? What's, what's wrong? It's hard. Yeah? What else? That's it. Well, yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. Well, now we've got that settled. Let's go and do some stuff, shall we? Because that's, that's the deal, okay? It's not supposed to be easy. Most shortcuts are normally quite disappointing, am I right? You know, ask Davina. I've got a reputation for shortcuts whilst driving. Because I'd, you know, I'd rather go to Scotland and back than sit in a traffic jam, to be honest. So we'll try that! But it says dead end. No, I'm sure there's a way through. We'll drive on our side through the pedestrian walkway. You know, it's that, but most shortcuts in life prove disappointing. Okay? Same with, same with the faith. You know, you say, well, you know, I know Jesus says that, but I'll just kind of do it that way. Or I'll just kind of avoid that tough bit. Disappointing, really. Okay, I'll meet you in a few months' time. You'll be like, yeah, that thing didn't work. Yeah, nothing going on there. No, you just really created your own way of following him rather than following him. Okay? It is exhilarating. <gasps> Takes everything though. So you agreed to this. He will reward you for your service according to his wisdom. But you agreed. Um, so God hits that coercion mentality. And, and then the boss says this Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Here, God is going to hit the I am Lord mentality. You know the one? I am Lord. <laughs> we might not sing it, but we live it sometimes. Yeah? Boss says, you know what? Uh, that Daenerys I've been giving out, those Daenerys, they're kind of like mine. They're not yours, they're mine. They're my coins. So I want to give you one, and him one, for 12 hours work, one hour's work. It's mine. But, 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 it's his. He does what he wants. He does what he wants. If you don't resolve that in your mind, you're going to really struggle. Because you're going to be thinking, well, why? Well, 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 what about me? Look, I want to say a few things. It might be a bit hard, but I've got to say them. Whenever you try and sit as a judge and make assessments and act God, it never works. Why? Because you always decide in favour of yourself, number one. It's really predictable. OK, we've got a situation here. I was right. <laughs> got another one here. Yeah, yeah, I was right there too. I mean, it's really predictable, isn't it? That's what's going to happen, yeah? 
so, so number one. Number two, your view of any situation is so frightening, frighteningly narrow and I'm sure unwittingly prejudiced that you really don't know how to make the call. I mean, I'm the world's worst. Believe I am the world's worst. Jump into the thick of a complex controversy after hearing 10 seconds of conversation. I'll fix it for you. <laughs> I heard what you said there, so you must be wrong. Yeah, and there's been years. There's a background, there's a history, a background to this. There are things that have gone on before I was born to this, but here I am and I know the thing. No, I don't. I don't. He does. He sees the lot. His judgments are right. The other thing is it's incredibly insulting because you're just not God. And so when we begin to act like, you know, this is mine, this is mine, we had a great little exchange with some of our kids, even this afternoon. So one of our kids went to a birthday party, came back with a helium balloon. Three kids, one helium balloon equals trouble. Okay? So the one with the helium balloon who went to the party, came into the kitchen, said, Dad, do I have to share the helium balloon with? I said, well, I said, there's quite a few parties coming up. You probably want them to share their things when they come back, don't you? But do I have to give it to him? I said, no. I said, you don't have to give it to him. You can share it with him. I said, but just remember, it's Jesus' helium balloon anyway. <laughs> See? Now, what am I doing there? I'm not just being crazy. You think, well, you always got to bring Jesus in, haven't you? Now, what am I doing there? I'm trying, I'm trying to help my daughter understand this, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And Jesus has entrusted her with that helium balloon. If she can do it with that now, she'll do it with other things well when she's older, right? He's entrusted you with that, so maybe share it out. But let's not get fussed about whose it is, because we know whose it is. It's his. It's his all his. So what, watch your mind. Watch your mind on that 10% to Jesus, 90% to... Watch your mind on that. No, it's his. Hey? But he recognises that living's quite expensive, you need money for the rent and stuff like that, so, you know, he's not literally saying, put it all in the pot, yeah? But it's his. Okay? So... It's all his. So we've got to really get our heads out of that I am Lord kind of thing. He can do exactly what he wants with whatever he wants. And if the lines happen to fall in pleasant places for us, I want to suggest to you that it's much more appropriate to say thank you than about time. Because there's two different spirits going on there, yeah? Thank you is, you know, I really recognise I don't deserve much, but I mean, you've really blessed me. You've been really generous. It's incredible. Rather than, well, f- Finally. <laughs> You've got to watch it. Yeah, that's a my rights thing, yeah? You've got to, it's a killer. Anti-Christian. It's a real killer. Finally, the boss says this. Do you begrudge my generosity? Or the Greek phrase is very nice, it's very vivid. It says this. Is your eye bad because I'm good? Is your eye bad because I am good? Here God hits the it's all about me mentality. His, his generosity is looked upon badly, right? Why? Because someone else has benefited more from it. Yeah? Because someone else has benefited more from God's generosity. Well, I'm not happy about that. And it becomes, you look badly upon it, the generosity of God. Why? Well, because actually someone else seems to be walking in a greater measure of God's blessing, favour, fruitfulness, whatever, than you are. It's exactly what's happening in this story here. It's very tricky. How prone we are 
to react like this. Because the biggest windfall hasn't dropped in our laps, but someone else's. It's all wrong. And you lose sight of God's blessings. Why? Because someone else is enjoying more of it. Someone just rocked up on the scene. You've been here, you know. Let's talk about serving. Maybe like, you've been, you've been serving, huh? I've been serving. I've been serving here for years. Doing a homeless outreach since it started. In fact, I started it. And now, old, yeah, old Mr. Homeless has come along, right? And praying with everyone every week. Well, we'll see about you. What's happened there? Now, it's never that blatant. It's never that blatant. You never say that. But if, when you're around someone else who's serving and they're more gifted than you, more fruitful than you, don't seem to put as much in, but it seems to get a lot more out than you, does something in you start going bad? Do you start kind of, kind of either looking at them thinking about envy or looking at yourself and getting all introspective. I knew God hated me. You know, all, all of that. Or, I know I'm just not, I'm not that fruitful type. And you just create bizarre theological categories for yourself, you know, which is really just coming out of your own total misunderstanding of the grace of God. Is this you? Because God wants to release you from it so that when the person comes along who's not been around long and is more fruitful than you, you get to jump up and down and celebrate. Why? Because the generosity of God's in action. Yeah, because actually the field, you're both working in the same field and you're both working for the same purpose and their blessing is your blessing. Yeah. You're not on different sides. You're doing the same thing. So boy, the homeless work's really taken off. It seems to be centred around an anointing on that person there, but blow it. Who cares where it's centred? People are hearing about Jesus and people, lives are being changed. Do you see that? What is that? That's a grace mentality. You've understood it. You've understood that the very fact you're serving the Lord is because he's been utterly generous to you in a totally undeserved way. And you know what? Regardless of how much you see or don't see, you're just thrilled to be involved. I'm involved in the kingdom. I'm involved in God's vineyard. I'm serving God's people. I'm serving the church, the bride of Christ. Oh my goodness. I'll do anything. I just want to be involved. You know, I mean, we've got to get this stuff in our hearts because it could be you lead someone to Christ and in three years' time they're your pastor. How are you going to be with that? Are you going to thank God? God, I can't believe you would have used me in that situation that you've called this person to be a pastor. I'm overwhelmed. Thanks, Lord. Or you're going to be, well, as long as you didn't try and tell me what to do. I listen to the other ones, but we we know that we've got an understanding. I'm the spiritual father around here. You know? (laughs) You've got to watch it. You've got to watch what's in your heart. An understanding of the grace of God. I want to finish by just applying it very briefly, quickly. We've experienced an amazing amount of generosity as a church from God. In the four years we've been here, we've probably, it seems like, that we would have grown and, um, and, and God has given us a kind of a health that it seems like a lot of churches in, in this area wouldn't have enjoyed. Um, there's a, quite a, a tragic history of church breakdowns and things going wrong. Um, I want to say to you that the other local pastors that I know have not been like these workers in the vineyard. They've celebrated with us. They really have celebrated with us. And it's been, it's been humbling and, and a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, but I want to say this, you know, what about when a new church plant rocks up in the area 
And within six months, they baptised 50 people. You know, they're more signs and wonders and hot dinners. You know, what's our response going to be like? Will we celebrate at the generosity of God? Or will we go all silly? Oh, what about us then? <laughs> oh, I see. So we do the praying for four years every Sunday, and they turn up and enjoy the fruit. If need be, yes. <coughs> to be able to serve another church in that way, what an honour. If that's the deal, praise God. Praise God. Let them reap where they haven't sown. We're all about the same thing. <laughs> so we can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in that. So I just want to flag that one for you guys so our head is straight on it. I will just say this as well. Whenever you question about someone else with that thing in your heart of, well, what about me and what about... You'll never get an answer. You see it in the Bible. Jesus meets with some of the disciples, gives them breakfast, takes Peter for a walk after breakfast and just deals with him on the whole denials thing and restores him. And then he basically says, oh, by the way, you're going to die a martyr's death. At this point, Peter, who's got to be one of the best guys in the Bible, he, he, he looks over his shoulder and he sees John's kind of straggling behind, you know, sort of probably trying to get in it, you know, <laughs> 10 feet behind. And Peter asks the classic question. He's just been told he's going to die for his faith. He goes, well, what about him? And, uh, and Jesus says, well, if I want him to stick around till I return, what's that to you? Follow me. Now, as a result of that, a rumour started that Jesus would stick around to, John would stick around to Jesus' return. Now, he didn't. Jesus didn't say that. But Jesus said, do you know what? Just follow me. And whenever you get worked up about someone else around you who's doing better than you and the envy and all that creeps in, and you go to Jesus and say, well, Lord, and you, you know what? He'll just say, what's it to you? Follow me. Because you've got a race to run that's your race. Yeah? You run your race. Don't worry about their race. Encourage them in it. You've got your race, they've got theirs. Final thing, final application. No, I've done it one already without meaning to. Okay, cool. (laughs) No, I didn't. Great, sorry. Most of you are young, and most of you are probably Christians. Therefore, most of you are much more likely to be in the category of those who bear the heat of the day. Okay? Because most of you are young and are Christians, therefore you will spend the rest of your life pouring yourself out for Jesus. There will be others who get saved on their deathbed and maybe win more people to Christ in that two weeks than you do over your whole life. There will be others who get saved maybe when they're, I don't know, 50 and spend 20 glorious years bearing a kind of fruit and growing in ways that you've only ever dreamt about. Okay? And your life will go down as a kind of a a 70-year outpouring of yourself for Jesus. Um, so when I said at the start about a long term deposit I think this is what I'm getting at really it will be tempting at times for some of you to look over at others and think they just seem to have arrived on the scene and look and I've been do you know what at that point what do you do worship God for his grace and his generosity and if need be step aside as well step aside as well so I don't know you know imagine you're the You're the guitarist. It's your role in the church. And then suddenly, you know, I don't know, Eric Clapton gets saved, you know. (laughs) And uh, he's all right, he's all right on the old guitar. And uh, and you've got your GCD going, you know. And uh, and Eric walks in. It's tempting, isn't it, to just grip that guitar that little bit tighter. I'm the guitarist. 
Whereas really what you should be doing at that point is saying, would you like a cup of tea, Eric, while you tune up? <laughs> you step aside. Why? Someone with the greater gifts come in. And you say, cool. Because you see, as we grow as a church, there will come a point where some of you where you're serving, you'll reach your capacity. And you're like, do you know what? I'm struggling now. You've got a choice to make. You either pretend you're not, because you find your safety and your identity in the fact that you do this thing, or you say, do you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling now, but I've spotted someone, I think they could take it on to the next stage. Can we train them up? And then I'll bow out gracefully and find somewhere else to serve. That is someone who's understood grace. That is the kingdom of God. That is a beautiful picture of the gospel. That is exactly what Jesus did for us. Gave up the glory of heaven. Came down. Humbled himself. You know, so many people say, it's just like, it's like hell live, living here. You know, he he's the only one to have ever voluntarily come to the earth. The rest of us, we just kind of arrived, right? And try and figure it out from there. Jesus chose to come. That's grace. That's the gospel. That's the riches of God. And as we gather back now to take the bread and the wine, to remember his mighty passion, his mighty act of sacrifice for us. I want to say to those of you that know the Lord, Resolve today to give yourself to him. To pour yourself out for him unconditionally. Renew that agreement. Re find ways. How can I? It's so great to see some, you know, just some of you tonight, not been around a few weeks, but serving now with the teas and coffees and just getting involved, you know, looking out for one another. Let's build. Let's work. Let's roll our sleeves up, get our hands dirty in the work of the kingdom. It's such an honour. And those of you who perhaps don't know the Lord, I want to say, you know what? He's after you. He's after you. He loves you. He wants to call you into an exhilarating life of hardship. <laughs> Will you follow him? <laughs> well, it's really, really, it's fruitful. It's adventurous. It's exciting. You don't know what's going to happen next. It's more like a treasure hunt than kind of like a sat-nav root planner. Although there, 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 you really don't know. <laughs> you know the next step. You know, it's a life of faith. It's like trusting God, you know, a life of purity, you know, a life, man, when you're just a totally different aroma to most people around you, you know, a life of integrity, even when it costs you, man alive. But it's built around this incredible grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to invite you into that. You need to repent of your sins, turn away from futile things, from sin, from just worshipping the created. Turn to your creator. He will welcome you. He will give you new life. Wow, and what life it is, life in all its fullness. Amen? Yeah. Amen, amen. So if that's you, pray to Jesus. Grab someone who brought you. Pray with them. We want to encourage you in your new faith. All right, if the band want to come up. With